Hello, this is Faithful Discourse with Chris Henry, a series of conversations at the intersection of religious faith and public life. I'm your host, Chris Henry. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us a kind of mission statement, a summary of his life's purpose. I came so that they might have life and have it abundantly. If disciples and communities of faith are to be aligned with the mission of Jesus, we too are called to seek abundant life, not just for ourselves, but for all God's beloved children. This abundance of life encompasses our souls, our minds, our bodies, our relationships, and our communities. It extends to our neighbors and those who are strangers. Reverend Dr. Leah Gunning Francis is a leader who has dedicated her life and her gifts to the pursuit of abundant life for all. She has done that in the church, in the academy, in the community, and in the work she now leads in our state's largest healthcare system. Leah Gunning Francis serves as Senior Vice President and Chief Mission and Values Officer for Indiana University Health, providing direction to ensure engagement in ethical practice, quality spiritual and pastoral care, and effective philanthropy within the organization and the communities where IU Health is active. She oversees departments of chaplaincy, spiritual care, and congregational partnerships, clinical and organizational ethics, system archives, along with the IU Health Foundation, the Dan F. Evans Center for Spiritual and Religious Values in Healthcare, and the Fairbanks Center for Medical Ethics. And she leads the IU Health Board Committee on Values, Ethics, and Social Responsibility. Before accepting this position at the beginning of 2023, Reverend Dr. Gunning Francis was Vice President and Dean of the Faculty at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis since 2016. She has served on seminary faculties and led congregations in St. Louis, Missouri, in Georgia, Illinois, and Ohio. Leah, welcome to Faithful Discourse. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's great to be with you. That is quite a load of responsibility that you have at IU Health, and and I look forward to exploring that in more depth. But I want to start with uh, your story and sort of the path that has led you here. And when I think of that path, um, the ways that you have been called and led to serve, I am reminded of the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Can you tell us a bit about the values and convictions that have guided your vocational journey? Sure. You know, I love that scripture as well. Mm -hmm. And really thinking about our um, deep sense of connectedness and call and how we who understand ourselves to uh, be connected with with God to say, hey, you know, we want to live that out. And Mm -hmm. some people find themselves doing that in various kinds of professions. It can be teaching in law and medicine or in construction design. Uh, And some people like us have found that call in the church and in the academy. For me, it was a bit of a circuitous journey. I'll spare you all all the details of it. (laughs) But coming from Willingboro, New Jersey and going on to Hampton University, majoring in marketing and then going and working uh, for several years in corporate, felt a call to ministry and went on 
on to seminary, and that's where I really got bitten by the bug, if you will. And it was from that time and during my time at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta that I was awakened to the sense of thinking about this role of call and vocation connected to the church, but yet beyond the church. And so I was able to see how the church and its agencies can be vehicles for social transformation. And that's what led me on to pursue a PhD and work with congregations and then on to teaching in seminaries. And people say, well, how did you end up at IU Health? Like, I'm missing some dots here. You know, it was was quite, uh, quite the experience for me because it's not something I was looking to do. Mm-hmm. But rather, after a conversation with a friend who happened to mention that mm-hmm. this position was available mm-hmm. and thought that I'd be a really good fit for it, I said, well, let me explore. And after reading the description of you know, the emphasis on values and ethics mm-hmm. and spiritual care, I'm like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. that is really important to me. And then with IU Health's mission to help make Indiana a healthier state, I'm yes. like, I like that a lot, too. And one thing led to another, and here we are. And Mm -hmm. so every day I find myself still deeply responding to my sense of call and vocation, Mm -hmm. just living it out in another location. Yes, yes. That's powerful. Um, Yeah, as I I think about your current position, it does seem to me like, in some ways, um, the culmination of your work as both a scholar and a pastor um, you've written um, eloquently and extensively about the really essential role of faith and faith leadership in causes of equity and justice. Um, you now lead those efforts at IU Health um, in a way that has an impact not only on the local community, but on our whole state and really by example and modeling um, systems across the country. Can you share some about how faith, values, and ethics can drive the pursuit of justice in an enormous and complex system like healthcare. When IU Health came into formation back in 1997, when Indiana University and the United Methodist Church came together to form Clarion Health Partners, um, the role of the Chief Mission and Values Officer was written into the bylaws because Mm -hmm. they wanted to ensure that the values and the ethics that the church holds so dear um, continue to remain at the core of this burgeoning enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, as I have come into this role, there have only been a few people in this role prior to me, uh, to be able to see how the values that are um, essential to our understanding of what it means to lead, to care for, to um, have compassionate Um, engagement, Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are truly welcoming of all people wherever they are entering our Mm -hmm. uh, facilities around the state Mm -hmm. are essential. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about sort of the intersection of faith and values and ethics, these things really do go together Mm -hmm. because it's not just a matter of faith in terms of, okay, we all have to believe in the same way, if you will, but rather um, when we sort of open that notion up to understand that each of us, we are interdependent and Mm -hmm. interconnected and yet connected to something beyond ourselves. For those of us like you and I that identify Mm -hmm. as Christians, Mm -hmm. we understand, you know, the nature of that relationship to God in that way. But that's not exclusive of other people. And so what I'm so excited Mm -hmm. about is to be able to be in a health system that is helping to lead that vision and be 
inclusive of mm-hmm. all people, people that might, ide- might identify as Muslim mm-hmm. or as Buddhist or as no identifiable faith at all, but yet still being deeply um, concerned and committed to the well-being and flourishing. So mm-hmm. they go together. Mm-hmm. And it's essential mm-hmm. that we need our health systems and our hospitals around the country to not lose sight of that. You know, Chris, it's easy for people to say, oh, you know, they're just there to promote religion. So for example, let's take the role of a chaplain. There are many of your listeners that Mm -hmm. have either been in a hospital or have had a loved one in a hospital and may have had an interaction with a chaplain. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you identify with a particular faith and you want the chaplain to offer a prayer with you or read from your sacred text, Mm -hmm. he or she can do that. But it's so much more than that. You know, we really are wanting to make sure that people felt feel seen yes. and heard yes. and believed mm-hmm. and cared mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. equitably. Yes. And to bridge all these things together, you know, it's the glue mm-hmm. that helps to hold, you know, keep yes. accountability right. <laughs> and to make right. sure right. that that that's happening. So it's mm-hmm. really exciting mm-hmm. to be a part of a work like that. Yes, well, and I think against the landscape of uh, for-profit health systems and and places that are really more about um, economic vitality or the the bottom line to kind of hold up the values and ethics of the system, I think matters so much. Uh, Your reference to chaplaincy makes me think about a a formative experience in my own uh, vocational journey. I was I served as a chaplain intern at Duke University Hospital as part of a death and dying class that I had as an undergraduate. And uh, I remember the I, I, I was sort of propelled into a situation where the family had asked for a chaplain and no other chaplain was available. And so I kind of got uh, uh, shoved into this situation not knowing much about the dynamics at play. And I remember taking the elevator up to the sixth floor thinking, okay, what am I going to say? What prayer am I going to pray? What words of scripture am I going to offer? And I got up there and realized that the family was already in this wonderful space of storytelling about their loved one who had just died, and all I was supposed to do was hold the space. So I, to this day, don't know the faith tradition of the family that I quote-unquote cared for um, in that space, Uh, but I do think holding space for a family to reflect in that way. So I I love your image of, you know, the the chaplain does far more than, you know, offer a sectarian prayer or a word of scripture, although those are important uh, pieces as well. I love that example because, you know, holding space and holding that sacred space in a non-judgmental way, Mm -hmm. um, in an open way, is where transformation can actually happen. Mm -hmm. Not because we do it, but when we are a non-anxious presence, when we suspend judgment and open our hearts and our minds to help people to feel cared for, to feel listened to, to feel valued, Mm -hmm. that is absolutely at the essence of what we do. You've mentioned IU Health's um, overall vision of creating a healthier state of Indiana, and I know that care for patients or those who are experiencing some sort of health difficulty is one component of that, Um, but I also, because of, of our friendship and previous conversations know you to be someone who cares a great deal about sort of preventative health and how we care for ourselves before we are in the position of needing um, the care of a a health system. What do you see as kind of the relationship between spiritual and physical health as it relates to kind of our overall wholeness? For me, spiritual and physical health come together to help us 
foreground holistic health. Mm. And Mm. when we think of ourselves as mind, body, spirit, that we are integrated beings, that you can't section part of us off, uh, but how we're able to hold those things together is essential. And so this is why, you know, take faith communities, for example, in our congregations, you know, when we have health-related ministries, when we have opportunities where we're even integrating in our preaching and teaching, as I know you do, I've heard you do it, uh, to be able to help people make the connections that how they think and how they feel and, uh, you know, how they believe that those things can go together to really create vitality for ourselves. And so um, we don't look to separate spirituality and health, but rather understand them as an integrated whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your reference to congregations, um, really thanks to the work of initiatives in pastoral care and congregational partnerships at IU Health, like the Congregational Care Network, um, I find that I'm learning more and more as a pastor um, about how um, essential a role the community plays in health care. Um, it occurs to me that often we think health is deeply personal, and it is, um, even a private matter. Um, And yet that assumption can sort of close us off to the indispensable role of our neighbors and the broader community. Uh, Can you talk some about the efforts that you lead and direct that intentionally connect people to improve health outcomes and really to your point about wholeness, um, to think holistically about someone's health? The program you've mentioned about our congregational care network, mm-hmm. these partnerships have been invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, what they are is where we've connected with local congregations to help identify people within those congregations that are willing to work with patients that have been discharged from one of our IU Health hospitals mm-hmm. to help serve as a, a listening ear, a check-in buddy, mm-hmm. uh, because there are so many people, Chris, that may not have someone that can do that with and for them. There are many people that live alone. They uh, may not have adequate resources to be able to get the things that they need. And so it's been great to partner with congregations because remember that for many congregations, people trust Mm -hmm. uh, their pastors. They trust many of the people that are within the congregations. Mm -hmm. And when we can help be a bridge Mm -hmm. to foster that trust for the benefit of our patient's health and well-being, we think that is an absolute win-win situation. And so to be able to be used for congregations to be a conduit Mm -hmm. for that type of healing arm has been an absolute tremendous Mm -hmm. benefit Mm -hmm. for our patients. I think about one of the places where um, religious communities and and healthcare providers clearly come together. Um, Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, has written this report on what he calls the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Um, And one of the ways that you all are clearly addressing that is through these uh, networking and congregational um, uh, connection to congregations and community. Uh, Murthy writes that only 16% of people, according to surveys, feel very attached to their local community. I mean, to me, that seems like as clear and present a danger to health as I can imagine that 16% of people feel connected to their local community. 
it is very dangerous. And it's also very counterintuitive mm. because we're more, con- quote unquote, connected yeah. now than ever before, right. right? In our pockets, in our purses, we yeah. have all types of phones, devices right. at our fingertips. And for many of us, mm. present company included, mm-hmm. uh, they're not <laughs> ever too far away from no, us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so it's counterintuitive because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, no, we're more connected forever. But, you know, the virtual world does not necessarily connect us in a way that promotes um, people being able to feel seen and valued and heard and a part of a broader community. Mm -hmm. So to the Surgeon General's point, to the point that you just made, um, loneliness is an epidemic. Mm -hmm. Um, You can still be in community, but not be of community. And for congregations and other spaces to play those roles, to hold that space Mm -hmm. you were talking about, Mm -hmm. to be able to help foster that is really essential. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely impacts our physical health as well. Yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking about a member of our congregation who's participated in the, the Congregational Care Network who um, has been assigned to, to someone recently um, discharged from the hospital, and they have these 45-minute-to-hour-long phone conversations, and this member of our congregation talks about what joy it gives her uh, just to be able to—she she says, I do a lot more listening than talking, um, which is wonderful, uh, and how wonderful it must be for this uh, patient that they are able to have something on the calendar. I know that this person is going to give me a call today. It's something to look forward to. It's, you know, we talk often in the church about you have to have a witness for your life. You have to have someone who can bear witness uh, to your gifts and strengths and all that you bring um, as a child of God. And um, in a time when a lot of folks may not feel that there are witnesses to their lives, um, this program is providing that in really powerful ways. So. It is an amazing initiative. Thank you. We're very excited about it Mm -hmm. and continue to, you know, promote it as much as we can and and get as many people involved because, you know, it's something that many people can do. And I love the example of you sharing that you're a congregational member that— it's meaningful yes. for her as well. Yes. So the bi-directionality yes. of the benefit yes. is is cannot be overstated. Yes. yes. Leah, I know you've um, led and written a good bit about sort of the role of equity and now that you are working in healthcare about equity in healthcare. And I know that's one of your your passions and one of the initiatives that you you lead now at IU Health. Um, in your experience or um, just share your wisdom with us about ways that engaged people of faith and engaged congregations who care deeply about the communities in which they are situated um, can be a part of conversations or movements that might improve equity in healthcare. I want to go back to the opening scripture that you shared um, about loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, very often when we talk about health equity, it can be a challenge for some of us to really understand the scope of what that means. People can look around and say, oh, we have hospitals around, we have doctor's offices, CVS is around the corner. What's the problem? People are able to get what they need. But the truth is, is that 
access is not the same for everyone. Affordability is not the same for everyone. Health outcomes are not the same for everyone. Preventative measures and the accesses to those. So, for example, if you live in a neighborhood where there are local parks and plenty of grocery stores and um, you're able to move around relatively safely, that promotes a certain type of health outcome, whereas there are some of our community members that don't have those kinds of basic things in their neighborhoods, thus creating health inequities. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not just about, oh, we all live in the state of Indiana, there are hospitals all over the state, Mm -hmm. but it really does depend on socioeconomic factors Mm -hmm. that can dictate health outcomes in health equity. So IU Health and and others have committed to saying, no, we need to close the gap, if Mm -hmm. you will, Mm -hmm. in health equity. It really is a travesty, and some would even say a sin, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. our zip codes can determine our life expectancy. In one of the latest studies here in Indianapolis, just only five miles or seven miles can separate a 10-year life expectancy outcome. Let that simmer for just a minute, right? Uh, It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be, and it doesn't have to be that way. So when we think about what congregations and what faith communities can do in light of that. The first thing is we must educate ourselves. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. cannot just see the world through the glasses that we wear. We have to be willing to take on new sets of lenses Mm -hmm. to be able to see things that we don't see in our everyday comings and goings. Or if we do see, we might not pay much attention to. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing, is that we have to be willing to to listen and to educate ourselves. And that listening needs to also come from those that face the greatest inequities. Um, it's not sufficient to only hear the stories of those that are doing relatively well. Um, you know, there's an, a, a, an African proverb that says, you know, if the lion always tells the story, then, you know, what does that mean for the prey? Yes, 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 <laughs> so we need to hear the story um, from, from people to be able to hear the witness, as you mentioned earlier, about we, needing so, we need people to bear witness to our lives to hear those stories. So the first thing is to be willing to hear and to listen to the stories and to educate ourselves The second thing is to say, okay, what then can we do with what we have to help close this gap? Far too often, Chris, I've heard so many people say, oh, Dr. Francis, you don't understand. The problems are so big. What am I supposed to do? Change the world? And I say, no, it's Mm -hmm. not about changing the world, Mm -hmm. but it is about making an impact right where you are. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what does it mean for congregations to think about partnering mm-hmm. with uh, community-based organizations that are working more explicitly with closing the health inequality gap, whether it's related to food insecurity or mm-hmm. medical access or early childhood learning? And mm-hmm. you may say, well, mm-hmm. Leah, what does early childhood learning have to do with health outcomes? Well, glad you asked. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) 
We know that when children go into kindergarten um, already having been exposed to certain levels of language engagement and beginning to write and all of that, they have better outcomes in school. And we know that all of that can lead to better health outcomes. And so Mm -hmm. when we say that, hey, Mm -hmm. it's important for all children to have access to quality early childhood education that can help improve and close mm-hmm. the gap in health and equity. So my point is, Chris, there really are very, it, 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 it touches everything. Yes. Health inequity touches every facet of our society. Yes. yes, we can think about it if, you know, if somebody is in the hospital, but we need to think about it more holistically than that in all of the ways mm-hmm. that, you know, our world impacts our health, whether it be our green spaces or lack thereof, our food quality or lack thereof, Mm -hmm. our water access, clean water or lack Mm -hmm. thereof. Um, When we think about safety for some neighborhoods, you know, we know that Unfortunately, now gun violence has become the leading cause of death for all of our children, to include all of Indiana's children. But did you know, Chris, that right here in Indiana, that young black teens are 20 times more likely to die by gun homicide than their fellow white male teens? 20 times. That's the latest CDC data that has come out. Um, And so this notion of safety Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not being safe and what that does to the mental and physical and spiritual well-being of people um, has a very, very negative effect. So, you know, faith communities, congregations have a role in all of this. Earlier this week, I was in another part of the city visiting a congregation um, on the Near East Side. And at the end of our, uh, we kind of walked the neighborhood and I was learning about their extraordinary ministry to their neighbors um, and with their neighbors. And um, at the end, I, I asked if we could have a picture together. And they said, well, typically we would have a picture in front of our church sign, but there are too many bullet holes in our church sign. Um, and so you are um, spot on that um, zip codes, neighborhoods, um, there are places of relative security and safety, although I would also say that we are learning that um, with what is really an epidemic of gun violence, there is not anywhere that you know we're having this conversation on the heels of yet another mass shooting in our country. Um, and it is no longer as easy to say these are the places where that may or may not happen. We are all affected. Um, But we are also all affected when any of us is affected. And I think for people of faith, it's not enough to say it's a problem in someone else's neighborhood or it's a problem in some other part of the country or the world. And so I so appreciate you lifting up that serious health concern. It is one. And as you talk about the mass shooting in Maine recently, uh, we live here in Indianapolis, but our family has deep Mm. ties to Maine. Oh, sorry. Our family spends a lot of time there. And so immediately when this happened, I started texting some of our dear friends to see how they were doing. And, of course, they were just in shock. I mean, the number of people that have died to date in that horrible shooting is almost as close to the total number of people that have been killed in the entire state last year. Um, And so... Uh, we know, though, it's not just Maine, as you've said. Uh, these these kinds of mass shooting 
uh, crises are happening all over our country. They're in schools, they're in congregations, they're in grocery stores, they're in parks, they're in um, communities, they're in all types of spaces. And until we deeply resolve to say, you know, the way things are are not the way things have to be. We can live together in a society where all of our children can live into a future filled with hope and not one where they're constantly having to worry about, oh, will a mass shooter come in to my school or to my church or while I'm out playing with my friends, um, you and I are old enough to remember that that wasn't much of a concern we had when we were young, right? And we're not that, that old. Um, and so <laughs> no. we're not that, that old. Like, that was not a concern. Yes. Um, but yes. unfortunately, it's too much of a concern for us today, but it's not one that we can't do something about. Amen. Amen. Your, your reference to sort of the interconnectedness of health. Um, and I think that's a place where, and you've said it so eloquently, that, that congregations, because of how we exist in the world and because of where we exist, which is literally in every neighborhood, um, I, I love your image of sort of starting where you are. And uh, it may not be, you know, a world-changing initiative, but it could change an individual life the life of a family, and it will certainly, as I say to members of our congregation all the time, the guarantee is it will change your life, um, and your life needs transformation as well, um, and each of ours does. When I first moved to Indianapolis, a, a leader in the city said, you will find in this city that whenever you pull one single thread of need, the whole ball of yarn will come. Um, and so your reference to, to kind of that interconnectedness, um, it, it also makes me think, particularly when you uh, mention early childhood learning, um, that's an area that, uh, you know, I think there there is um, a, a clear need. Um, there is a clear cost associated with that need. And churches, um, because we have spaces and because we often have, um, you know, volunteers and people who care about the community who may have time, it feels to me as if that's one place where congregations can step into the gap of high-quality early learning because the statistics that you've referenced and that um, I, too, have, have done sort of a deep dive on in recent weeks are so clear um, that how one begins life impacts how one's life will go in every conceivable measurement, including in health outcomes. And so um, giving children in, in our state, in our city, in our neighborhood, Neighborhoods, the best possible start seems to me like one place where churches can pretty easily uh, plug in given the existing resources that they have. I love that idea. And the more that our congregations can lean into that, the better off we will all be. Um, when we look at the vast resources that we have, no matter where your congregation is located, uh, I guarantee you that nine times out of 10, there are people in there that have the skill sets, yes. that have the passion, that have the right. compassion mm -hmm. to help lead that type of an effort. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have many people that are retired teachers yes. or have retired from all kinds of professions mm -hmm. or never worked outside the home, wherever, mm -hmm. wherever they've found themselves mm -hmm. to do or their vocation to be, that can truly have an, an impact on young children's lives. Very recently, I was uh, talking with a congregation, and it was very similar. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are we supposed mm -hmm. to do? And mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. I have to give my usual yes. thing. Yes. Um, let's start where we are. I said, but think about it this way. 
I love the the early childhood and with with congregations really opening spaces and hearts to to make that possible. In addition to that, can you imagine, Chris, if every congregation in Marion County provided five volunteers Mm -hmm. to go into local schools Mm -hmm. to help support the teachers and administrators in whatever ways are needed. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Do the math on that. Mm -hmm. How many congregations are there in Mm -hmm. Marion County? Mm -hmm. Imagine, multiply that times five, just five. And these were five people that would take a day a week or two days a month, whatever it might be, to go into a local school Mm. to support the classroom needs, to support Mm -hmm. the administrative needs, to go and read to children, to help children that may need a little more support in math or, you know, or interested in social studies, whatever it might be. Can you imagine Mm. what a revolution that would cause? Would that not? And how... Does that sound untenable? Not it at doesn't all. to me. No, not at all. And so all. to your point about how how we start can vastly impact the quality of our lives and our health mm-hmm. outcomes. That is a low to no cost mm-hmm. way yes. that can have a direct and significant impact on children that need it the yes. most. Yes. Leah, you you have a direct and significant impact wherever you go and in any way that you lead. And I am so grateful uh, that I have had the opportunity to know you and to develop a friendship with you here in Indianapolis and uh, be a part of uh, communities that you've led, both in the academy and now to get to see the work that you're leading at IU Health. It really is inspiring. And so clearly, um, the, the gifts that God has given you are being well-served and the community is being well-served by your accepting this call uh, and this vocation. Thank you so much, Chris. It's a joy to be with you anytime, and I appreciate you having me today. And many blessings to you on your great work. Thank you so much, Leah, for this thoughtful and engaging discussion. And thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, share with a friend, and let us know what you would like to hear in future episodes. I look forward to continuing the conversation on the next Faithful Discourse with Chris Henry. Until then, take care of each other.